and have a seat. I'm going to ask you a question. What drives you? And what I mean by that is not your vehicle that's outside getting wet right now, but what motivates you? What motivates your choices? What compels you to action? You know, when the students go to camp this year, I thought, what a great opportunity uh, to share with you their theme for the week. And so while they're not hear the things that I'm going to say today, it goes along with the scripture that they're going to hear about God's transforming power and transforming word. And you're going to hear about that this morning as well. Um, they will notice that the camp theme is drive. And if you notice, if you come into the foyer, as you come into the foyer on your right, you'll notice a bunch of tires that have been set up for the last few months. If, if you've been with us any time, if you're new, um, as you walk out there to the left in our big camp sign, uh, that's, that's by design. It's so you can get used to the idea that we are, we are driving for camp, we're driving towards camp, and the idea that we are going to be studying the idea of drive. I'm going to be saying that a lot this morning, just kind of get it in your head. Um, and if I may brag on the students a little, uh, every year um, at camp, uh, the students that go to Falls Creek are to make a standard. Now, what this is, is just a sign. It's a sign that they make to let everybody know, hey, we're sitting at this area of the worship center. So when students enter the worship center, they look for their sign or their standard and go sit with their group. Now, we, I've been thinking for about three or four weeks on this standard. Um, Kim had brought me this uh, spinning hubcap. Have you seen the hubcaps with the spinners on them? Pretty neat idea. I think, okay, we can, we can maybe put like a fake tire kind of thing around to make it light, some lights in between it so we spin it, it kind of shines out. Let everybody in the, in the sanctuary know, man, that would be, oh, I wish I was with that group because that's a really mighty fine standard. And that's what I was thinking, like we want to wow people. We want to wow people and make think, man, this is, this is great. And maybe up their standards for next year if their sign isn't, isn't up to par. But um, I say that to really build up our students because this week, uh, this week on Monday, we met to design our sign. And, uh, you know, we threw around these ideas. Um, and you know what they come with? I'm going to show you uh, what they come with our theme of drive is this. Now, now before I show you. Uh, remember, my, my thinking was we want to wow the people. We want to make them think that's a neat standard. That, that church has got it going on. They got it together. Uh, our students had a different idea, which is amazing. And, and I love them for it and humbles myself to think that they were thinking that when we walk into the worship center, we want to let people know what we're there for. It's not for anybody else than right here. Slow Jesus working ahead. And I, I, yeah, go ahead and clap for our kids. Absolutely. That's a large sign, too, right? So any, any of the students who will walk by this sign and think, okay, there might be some great signs like the ones that I was thinking about in my head. But they're going to see this sign and they say, okay, perhaps now I need to prepare my heart for worship. Because we are not there to make everybody else impressed. We are there for an audience of one. And that hopefully as we go and we worship, uh, God is pleased by the offering of our faith and our worship. And that God, Jesus, will be specifically working in our lives ahead. So thank you, students, for that, for teaching me in that moment. Um, But I want to ask you again, what drives you? What motivates your choices? What compels you to action or what persuades you? 
Persuading men today is a multi-billion dollar industry. It's called advertising. (laughs) Advertising is so powerful. There are companies that pay for marketing that has this persuasion down to a science. They know that different colors work on different social groups. So let's say you're trying to impress someone to buy something in Northeast Texas. Say a middle class American in Northeast Texas. Perhaps blue would be best to advertise to you. And they would know this by their certain studies that they do. It's down to a science. And, you know, why would I be persuaded to buy or use things that perhaps I wasn't going to use uh, or against maybe what I found comfortable? Well, this advertising sways people. It persuades you to think that you need it, that you want this for yourself. You know, Friday, um, I got some dental work done in Forney. We won't go into that because that's not exciting at all. But I needed to do some shopping for camp. I realized I had no shorts. The shorts I had had holes in them. I mean, they're all falling apart. Um, some need sewing. Uh, so I decided to go into Terrell. The big, there's a big outlet mall I found out on my GPS. Tagler outlet mall. Have anyone ever been there? Neat little place. Lots of, lots of shopping options. Um, I came across the Nike store. Uh, which had these attractive, athletic, blow-up pictures on the window. <laughs> and they were all involved in some kind of sport. Maybe you've seen it. The tagline was this, winning takes care of everything. Have you heard that from Nike or maybe in their commercials? Winning takes care of everything. Which, with the theme of drive, I couldn't help but think, well, if you're not first, you're last. Some of you may get that later. I thought to myself, that's it. I I, I want to win at every aspect of my life. Don't we want to win? (laughs) That'll take care of it. Uh, Who doesn't want to win? So I go inside and shop and I'm affected by this billion dollar industry just last Friday. Now, let me give you an example of how I know for a fact that you are affected by this billion dollar industry as well. I'm going to name some taglines. We're going to play a little game. And I want to see if you can tell me what these taglines are representing. Some of the taglines I'll stop midway through and see if you can finish them. Okay. Maybe you've heard a lot of these. You'll see. Uh, be all that you can be. What is that tagline for? The army. Right. Absolutely. I'm loving it. McDonald's. All right. More people knew that than the army. That's kind of concerning. All right. Let's see if you can finish this jingle. I've got a jingle for you. Every kiss begins with. All right. More people know the jewelry store. Guys, you better pay attention to that one. All right. Like a good neighbor. You guys are getting louder and louder. I like it. All right. How about this one? Maybe a little harder. Life tastes good. What's that? Coca-Cola. Coca-Cola. All right. Let's go a little easier then for you. Maybe she's born with it. Maybe it's Maybelline. Absolutely. This is a little thing that melts in your mouth, but not in your hands. M&M's. Absolutely. Uh, One of my favorite uh, taglines from about five or so years ago. Love these. Love these commercials. Still do. Every time I see them, it's great. So easy a caveman can do it. Geico, absolutely. 15% of, you know. All right, sometimes you feel like a nut, sometimes you don't. Almond Joy Mounds, yes. Are you in good hands? All state, yes. I hope today that you realize that you are influenced as well. You are persuaded by a multi billion dollar industry. And 
you know, there's nothing wrong with that. I am too. But I hope today that you are in good hands, not from all state, but from the hands of Jesus as your Savior. Uh, um, maybe isn't it, it isn't advertising that drives you, although from your answers you are persuaded and knowing to at least who the businesses are. You may not purchase them, but at least you know who they are. Um, do great speeches motivate you? Great speeches have a tendency to make me fired up inside for things, don't they? Uh, Martin Luther King inspired and motivated millions of actions with these words. Let us wallow in the valley of despair. I say to you today, my friends, and so even though we face the difficulties of today and tomorrow, I still have a dream. It is a dream deeply rooted in the American dream. I have a dream that one day this nation will rise up and live out the true meaning of its creed. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. And through that speech, and it was a very short speech if you read it, inspired millions and still inspired today. It motivates, it persuades men to action, it compels them. One, one of my favorite ones, in 1962 at Rice Stadium in Texas, President John F. Kennedy address the nation, one of the most inspiring speeches that I believe a president has mobilized the nation with. He said, there is no strife, no prejudice, no national conflict in outer space as of yet. Its hazards are hostile to us all. Its conquest deserves the best of all mankind and its opportunity for peaceful cooperation. Many never come again. But why, some say, the moon? Why choose this as our goal? And then they will ask, why climb the highest mountain? Why 35 years ago at the time? Fly the Atlantic. Why does Rice play Texas again at the time? We choose to go to the moon. We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other things, not because they are easy, but because they are hard, because that goal will serve to organize and measure the best of our energies and skills, because that challenge is one that we are willing to accept, one we are unwilling to postpone and one which we intend to win. And that inspired millions. Inspired me as a young boy. Forty years later. What drives you? What motivates you? What compels you to action? What persuades you? Maybe what drives you is money. We've been talking a little about this this last month. Does money drive you? To make more, to have more. Does work drive you to feel accomplished, maybe get more in life? Does family drive you? The things you do are primarily for your family and the struggles you have there. Maybe the pursuit of entertainment. Maybe the pursuit of happiness drives you. That's huge in today's country. We live in such an entertainment culture. It just bombards us from all angles. Movies, TV, social networking, music. People search for that next big experience, that next big thing in their life, and it drives them. So when we get to our passage today, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul has just mentioned the purpose of his life in verse 11. He said, my purpose is to persuade men. Similar to what's been going on with all these million dollar companies with you, but much, much more powerful and better. So let me show you. Turning the Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 14 and 15. 
And as you turn, um, this is no surprise if you if you read anything of Paul and his missionary journeys. It's no surprise uh, to us that Paul would want to be one that wants to persuade men. When Paul was before King Agrippa in Acts 26, if, if you remember reading this, and if you haven't, it's okay. I'll kind of walk you through it. He is before a jury. In a sense, he's before King Agrippa. Uh, he's in chains, and he's having to plead his case of why they shouldn't uh, send him off to Rome for trial. And he shares the story of Jesus, about how when he was walking down the Damascus Road, Jesus came to him with a mighty light and just changed his world forever. He says, you work for me now. You're going to be sharing the gospel, the good news, the story that I came to die on the cross for your sins. You're going to share that with Many people now, and I will show you how much you will suffer for my name. And so he's telling this before King Agrippa, uh, telling them that many can receive forgiveness of their sins. Then King Agrippa, in the end of Acts 26, says to Paul, do you think that in such a short time you can persuade me to be a Christian? And Paul replies, short time or long, I pray to God that not only you, but all who are listening today become what I am, except for these chains. Paul was in the business of persuading men. But why? What drove him? What compelled him? What, what focused the attentions of his life to make the choices that he made? We see this down in verse 14. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14 and 15 is our camp passage, and let me share that with you. For Christ's love compels us, because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. He is saying here that the love of Jesus compels him. The love of Jesus compels us. It motivates, it drives, it urges us on. The love of Jesus was shown for us by what he did on Calvary's cross. Now, you'll notice in verse 14 and 15, he explains the love of Christ. You can read this one of two ways. Either the love of Christ is his love for us, making Christ the subject and us as the object of his affection. Or we can read it as um, our love of Christ. So making us the subject and Jesus being the love or the object of our affection. What we see from the context here in verse 14 to 15, uh, he is primarily talking about his love for us. Right. So it is Jesus's love for us. And he's saying specifically for me as he's talking, it is Jesus's love for me that compels me on, that urges me on, that that constrains me, that compels me to work. And he's he's drawing for us a picture of God. Now, I heard it. I heard it said like this. Um, there was a kindergarten teacher that had her kids uh, given some crayons and paper and they were just drawing pictures, you know, free time, draw whatever you want. She was looking at them one by one and she gets to uh, a little fellow named Billy. She asked Billy, Billy, what are you drawing? And um, Billy says, I'm drawing a picture of God. And the teacher says, Billy, silly Billy. No one has seen God. And this response just reminds me of something that my own little Emery would say if he's right. He says, well, after they get through seeing this, they've seen God. Right. This is what Paul is doing here. He's he's painting us a picture of who God is. Right. Hopefully, 
Maybe you and I will die in our old age, in our sleep, with no pain, no suffering. Um, But when Jesus Christ died, he died at the peak of his life. He died in a sinless body. No one ever suffered like Jesus did. They took nails and drove them in the hands of our Lord and in his feet. They took a crown of thorns and pressed it upon his brow. They lashed his back to his like pieces of raw flesh were hanging. He died. And what do you think held Jesus to the cross while he died? Absolutely. Because it wasn't the spikes in his hands. It wasn't the spikes in his feet. It was love that held him there. And I believe there's a song, lots of songs that kind of show that for us as well as scripture. Every drop of his blood that was poured out there on the cross as he was dying, pretty much saying to a lost world, I love you. I love you. I love you. I love you. Even to death. He died for all men, as it says here. Now, many, many men in history have died for other people. You know, be all you can be. We've mentioned the military. and God bless their efforts and what they've done for securing our freedom. But there's only been one man who has died for all men. And that's Jesus Christ. If that's true, that means he died for me. Doesn't it? If that's true, it means he died for you. If that's true, that means that he died for every single person in this building. Every person in the whole world. That is wonderful love. That is wonderful love. He loves the whole world. And did you know there are people in Athens who think that no one loves them? Deep within the heart of every single person, there's a psychological need to be loved. To know that you are. And there are people right here within a five mile radius of this church that think that they aren't loved. And Jesus cries out to all men, I love you. Well, how will they to know? When Jesus died at the cross, it's as if he were saying to tell, you know, go tell Judas who betrayed me. I love him. Well, that's tough, isn't it? Go tell Peter who denied me. I love him. Go tell Herod, the one who condemned me. I love him. And Pilate. And go tell the Jews who arranged my false trial. I love them. Go tell that person whose work drives them. I love them. Go tell that person who's focused on maybe a relationship that drives them rather than me. I love them. Go tell that person who's in love with money that I love them. Go tell that person who is in prison. I love them. Go tell that person that struggles with alcohol and other drugs that I love them. Go tell that person that struggles with pride that I love them. Go tell that person who seems like they have it all together that I love them. Go tell that person that has a cussing problem. I love them. Go tell that person that's looking just to be happy that I love them. Go tell that person who's a single mom or dad who's struggling to get by every day that I love them. Go tell that couple that is struggling in their marriage that I love them. Go tell those parents who are frustrated about their family. I love you all. Go tell every person in the world. I love them. Paul is persuading men to do just this. The love of Christ, his love for us should compel us. 
It should constrain us, drive us, motivate us. Now, I can't keep that kind of love to myself. And so, like Paul, we all should persuade men. Let's talk about verse 15 for a little bit. He died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. What is one reason, there are many, one one reason Jesus died on the cross for our sins. So that when the love of Christ drives our life, we live for him. It's right there in the verse. We don't live for ourselves. And guys, this is hard work. You know, JFK said, we choose to do what is hard and not what is easy. And living for Jesus is hard work. Most blessings that I know of in life come through hard work, though. If you think about it, don't they? Um, Have you ever noticed that hard work pays off? I think about my kids. Um, Last week's sermon on how to raise responsible kids was great. If if you didn't hear it, it's online. Grab a CD out in the foyer. Um, How to raise responsible kids. Um, One of the things that Pastor Dave mentions is that if we have children, we definitely wish they come with instructions. Right? We do. Um, I think think about my kids and how hard it is to work with them. And those of you shaking your heads have worked with my kids, you're like, yes, I've worked with your kids. I understand how hard that could be. Um... I've heard it said like this, and I don't know who this is. I wish I did, but I've heard it said like this. Simple things like leaving the house no longer simple. Think about this for a second, especially on Sundays. I'll tell you something about my Sunday. Um, think about those who have no kids. Right? If you know, have no kids, you can relate to this. Um, let's get up and go. Ready? Okay. Bye. Okay, that's if you don't have kids. Right now, this is this is ours, our week, and Ken's already like, oh no, what's he going to talk about our life here? She's like, what are you going to say? No, this is this is great. Okay, our life is nowhere like just walking out the door. I've got three young boys. Our mores like we're always seeming to be running out the house late. Anybody like that when you have kids? Come on, hurry up! Why don't you have your shoes on? I've told you four or five times to put your shoes on. This is a seriously. Where are your shoes? Okay, I know. Karen, where are their shoes? They're in the basket where I put them. They're not in the basket. Emery, where are your shoes? Where's the last time you've seen them? On my feet? No. Where are your shoes? Where? Get, get over there. Get, okay, okay. Arms in, arms up, arms in, arms up. And that's just Karen. She's so exhausted. She can't put her clothes on. Um. Let that sink in a bit. Uh, (laughs) It's hard work. Oh, it's so hard. But we're making every effort with our kids. Uh, They're they're making sure that we're in church. Uh, They grow up to love the church. They grow up and one day trust in Christ as Lord and Savior and love Him with all their hearts. Then all this frustration seemingly every morning, guys, will be worth it worth it. It's hard work. But it's the love that Jesus has for me because he first loved me that I am willing and I have the drive and the compulsion and the motivation to bring my kids to Christ. Right? To show them who he is. Now, there's going to be some bumps in the road. I mean, I'm screaming at my kids almost every morning. It, it really is. 
Right? It's tough sometimes. There's the days where they really just do what we want them to do. I'm thinking, okay, well, are they sick? Um, or what do they want later on when they get home? Um, but society has different answers, don't they? Society says life is about happiness, so if we're not happy, something is wrong. And guys, let me tell you, when we're trying to get ready on Sunday mornings, life isn't too happy for us as a family. Um, not at all. <laughs> but I'm curious to know that if the Christians are around the world all going through struggles, um, are they worried about their happiness? On Wednesday nights, um, our youth and I, we're walking through a, a series called um, Ultimate Reality Vietnam. And what's, what's happening is we're watching eight teenagers smuggle Bibles into Vietnam. And their struggles and their joys and their confusions as they talk with the people who have literally been beaten for Christ. Pastors who have been thrown in jail for years with hardly the kind of living that our prison provides. I'm wondering if they think about their happiness. So much so they're thinking about what they have. You know, they're not happy in those moments. Would you be happy if you were beaten and asked to deny Christ? Would that make you happy? No, of course not. But here's what sustains them. It's the love of Christ that compels, that motivates, that urges, that constrains their thoughts and their choices. That They may not be happy in that moment, but they do have peace. They know where their salvation rests. They, they have love. They have hope. You know, just, just holding our tongues sometimes is hard work when someone makes us angry. Doing the right thing is hard sometimes when temptation rears its ugly head. What motivates us, what drives us to action is the love that was displayed when Christ gave his life for us. When everyday life happens, uh, our choices should be driven by this. Our choices can either reflect the glory of God or not. And because God loved us so much to send his only son to us to die in our place so that we wouldn't have to face life away from Christ, is the thing that's going to motivate me to stay in the ministry. Is the thing that's going to motivate me that when my marriage gets rocky, even as a minister of the gospel, my marriage gets rocky. That I strive to say, what can God do to help right me, help fix me? What am I doing wrong? What can I do better? Because a lot of the times we think, what can they change? And I think that all the time, too, until I come to my senses and think, oh, maybe there's something that I need to do. Because it's hard work. Everybody wants to place the blame in everybody else but themselves. It's hard work. So when everyday life happens, our choices should be driven by the glory of God and the fact that he loves us. What can I do today to, in my family to glorify God? What can I do today to glorify God in my family? What can I do today to glorify God amongst my friends, my neighbors? What I do with my spare time? What can I do to glorify God even while I'm eating? Or, or perhaps what I eat what I'm, while I'm parenting. Um, am I bringing glory to God? Because as a father 
and many of you fathers kind of understand this struggle, and mothers do too, that you wonder if you're doing it right. Don't you? I mean, daily I wonder, man, did I, did I handle that situation correctly? Did I, did I do that right, God? And, and I'm kind of, they don't come with instructions, so it's a struggle. So at the end of the day, I can't rely on myself. I have to rely on God and His promises and His truth. At the end of the day, it's hard work. But it's His love for me that drives me to say, what would you have me do? He loves me. I love Him. You know, as we grow in that love, I start liking the things He likes. You ever notice that? For those of you who are growing strong Christians right now, you notice you start to like the things that God likes a little more, a little more, a little more. And you start disliking the things that he dislikes a little more, a little more, a little more. So much so that it starts to just, it starts to weed itself out of your life. Right? There's still struggles, but you, you notice a change. You notice a transformation that God is doing in and through you. We start favoring him. It's kind of like what they say with marriages. You ever notice that people say you kind of look like your spouse as the older you get with them? I want everyone to look at their spouse right now. That's what you're going to look like in a little while. Some of you are laughing. I'm really ramping up the romance now, aren't I? But you start to finish each other's sentences. We say these things. But it's just the same thing as when we spend time with God, when we spend time in His Word, when we pray to Him, when we spend time among God's people, as we serve Him, as He loves us. We start to look like Him. We start to look like Him. And that's what He wants. The idea of being a Christian is being Christ-like. Start looking like my son. Start looking like me. And Paul is trying to persuade men, this is the better life. You might not always be happy, but it's the better life. No matter how close we get to God or how far away, how far away we are now, we need to remember that to constantly take everything to Him. It's, it's kind of like this. This last week... Um, Tuesday, I get in my truck because I'm going to have to use my truck for camp and I haven't used it in a while. So I get in just to make sure and drive the next couple of weeks, make sure everything's great for camp. And uh, I get that nice little light that comes on in, in your cars or your trucks. You know what I'm talking about? The, hey, something's wrong with me light. Um, I call it that because, like many of you, I mean, I've worked on cars. I've rebuilt the Mustang before, but I've, every car is different. And so now I just want to say, okay, I have no idea how to do things. Now, I could open up the hood and pretend to look like I know what I'm doing, like a lot of you may do. <laughs> Jiggle some wires if that ever does anything. Well, that seems to be in place. I don't know. Um, you ever <laughs> or stop by the road by somebody who needs help us do the same thing. Yeah, I've already jiggled that one. That's not working either. But the indicator was light was on. And so I thought, here, I could try to fix it myself. Um, or I could go to... The person or the, the people who made it. I can go to the, the manufacturer, the one who designed the truck itself. So I thought, you know, that's probably the better option, right? So an indicator, like something is wrong with my vehicle. So I take it in. They tell me, here's, here's what's wrong, right? And here's what it'll cost to fix it. And you know, there's things in our life that point to Christ if we just look for them. If you've noticed what I've said here, all of us have probably gone through this with a vehicle, if you have one, and you've needed to service it. Okay, there's something going on wrong in your life, and you know this, right? 
All of us have eternity written on our hearts. All of us long to have a relationship with God. It's there. Scripture tells us that. And we know we don't have that. We have that hole in our hearts. We really do. And so we have those indicators of life that something, this, that my life needs a purpose, my life needs a place. And until we find that in Christ, we don't find it. And the indicator light stays on. But we keep trying to do things our own to try to fix it. We'll open up the hood and we'll jiggle a few wires. We'll throw in more work. We'll throw in more money. We'll throw in some more relationships. Uh, maybe things will help us. We'll go buy some more things. Maybe eating will help us. We'll eat some more things or, or eat less. And so all these things, and I can keep going on and on and on and on about the things we try to do to jiggle wires and fix our own lives, but we are not our maker. We didn't put us together. So we need to constantly take everything to him in prayer. Everything to him through his word. Because I guarantee you right here, he says, oh, here's your problem. Would you like me to fix that for you? And here's the cost, my son. Oh, and here's the thing, though. When I went, I had to actually pay them some money, quite sizable sum to fix my problem. Uh, but here's where the metaphor is different. We don't, we don't pay for our salvation. Jesus paid it all on the cross. It's as if someone came into that. I wish this would have happened. Someone came into the deal like, you know what? I got him. They just put it on my tab. But e- even more so, here's the thing. I could afford my, to fix the problems I had. Here's where the metaphor kind of severs as well. We have so much stuff wrong with this from the very first sin we have, from our very nature. There's not amount of money that any of us have in this whole world, even collectively, to fix what's wrong with us. And so that's when Jesus said, the, the price is paid. I've taken your place on the cross. Wow. Isn't that love? That's amazing. That is a love that should drive us to action. It should drive us to the prisons. It should drive us to our neighbors across the street and our friends across the lunch table. It should drive us to tell them the story that Jesus loves them. Um, the, good, the good news is I know a lot of us, a lot of us are, are in a position where we think, but I still fail, Right? We still make mistakes. I have to go back. I have to go back to my children for this illustration because I never knew how much my children could ever teach me about God, but they do almost daily. If and if you just look for it, you'll find it as well. That when my children are trying to achieve something great, let's use Liam as example. He's my he's my second born. He's two years old. About a year ago, he wants to start doing. What any one-year-old wants to start doing. Walk. He wants to walk. Right? Why does he want to walk? Maybe because he sees his father do it. He sees his, his mother do it. The, one, the ones who care for him or love him unconditionally. He sees them walking and thinking, this is, this is naturally what I need to do. I need to live as my father and my mother is doing. Okay, so, so what does he do? Right? You know, they have the, what they call cruising where he's doing this first. Kind of feeling it out, holding stuff, trying to walk. And then as a parent, what do we do as parents? 
Our child now is struggling to do what's right, as you and I possibly do with our Father in Heaven. We struggle to do what's right. What is it? And he falls. But what do we do as parents? Which a lot of us think that God does this to us. How dare you fall? You're no longer my child. Why do people think that? When we as parents don't do that, what do we We have someone filming it. Mothers filming the falls and we're like, yes, it's so cute, he just fell. I mean, God doesn't think it's cute when he falls, but what do we do? We go, oh, no, son, hey, keep going. Right? And he falls again. What do we do? We pick him back up. Because we know what he's doing is struggling to do what is right. So don't let discouragement and the struggle for life Gets you down. Because even if you fall, God is there right back to pick you up to help you learn how to walk in His glory. So what drives our life? You know, as our students go to camp, I want to want to challenge them that just because a bunch of people are coming from church uh doesn't mean they're all saved. Just because you come to church today doesn't mean you are either. But if you've never trusted in Christ as your Lord and Savior, we need to place our trust in Him as Lord and Savior. Perhaps today is your day to do just that. To know that you can't fix your life. You have that indicator light on. You've been jiggling for years. What's under the hood? Nothing's going to work. Nothing's going to work. But let the love of Christ, who died for you, says, I love you so much that I gave myself for you. So you wouldn't have to worry about it. He'll fix you. And you'll be with him in heaven forever. But that doesn't mean life isn't struggle. We still have to learn how to walk. We still have to learn how to walk. And even those who've been walking for years still stumble and fall sometimes. But our Father's right there to pick us up. So maybe you've been struggling in your Christianity for a while. Maybe you're still still crawling, still trying to get to that point where you can sit off and start walking again. Maybe today is your day to say, you know what, enough is enough. I'm going to let go and wobble as much as I can. And if I fall, I know God's got me. Because I'm still going to, because you love me so much, Jesus. That is going to compel me to do what is right. To do for you what you want me to do. And one of the things he wants to do without a doubt, like Paul, persuade men. Tell them about Jesus. Tell them. How else will they hear if no one tells them? The Romans tells us. So if you're here this morning and that is you and you want to place your faith and trust in Christ as Lord and Savior. The cards in front of you will um, can help you out as the offertory comes by. If you'd like to let us know through that, that's fine. Um, I'll be in the back once we close. If you want to come talk to me about it, that's fine. Brother Ronnie is here. If you want to talk to him about it. Um, if, you're, if you're struggling to get up and walk as a Christian, we'd love to hear about it too. If you have any kind of prayer request, let us know. As the offering plate is placed in uh, passed in a little bit in front of you. If you have any kind of desire or need that you have that you want us to help pray with you about, 
Write it down on a card in front of you. Throw it in the plate. I guarantee you, we will pray for you. Let's pray right now. And Brother Ronnie will come up. Most heavenly and gracious Father, Lord, I thank you for this time that we've had uh, to just come before you to see what one of your children, Paul, um, how he persuades men or, or what drives him, what compels him, what urges him on. And we've seen through your scripture, Lord, that it is your love for us that compels us. Father, that you came in the form of Jesus, that you died on the cross for our sins. You raised again on the third day and are now standing at the right hand of God. Lord, I pray. I pray, Lord, that we see you just like that. Majestic, King of kings, Lord of lords, on the throne, ready to pick us up when we struggle, when we fail. Ready to give us strength to continue on, to cheer us on as we walk the life towards you. And Father, for those of us in the, today who have never trusted in Jesus as our Lord and Savior, Lord, may today be the day of salvation. Father, I pray for each and every one of them, God, as they, um, as they make this choice and as you impress upon their hearts and their souls to do that. God, may you work mightily in their hearts this morning. Lord, be with this offering as we take it up. Lord, I pray that um, that we... Even as we give now, we think, how does this glorify you? And what perhaps can I do even more? This is in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.